You are listening to Sustainable Design Podcast with Anastasia Bachikara. Hello, everyone. I want to begin by stressing that social equality and justice are essential parts of sustainability and the very basis of our chances to solve global environmental and economic crises. I support Black Lives Matter movement and systematic change toward justice and equality. Today I spoke with a representative of Ellen MacArthur Foundation, which is the leader of circular economy development and my main inspiration in the whole world. I spoke with Sebastian Egerton Reed. He's a learning program lead at the foundation. We had a, such a fruitful conversation that it will be released in two parts. In this episode, we offer you an overview of what is circular economy, regenerative agriculture, circular fashion, and examples at scale. As always, the conversation is full of resources, and you can find links to all of them in the episode notes. Let's jump right into it. So I think the easiest way still to define a circular economy is to define how today's economy fundamentally operates, which is linear, right? It's take, make, waste. We, most of the things and amazing things and stuff and products that we have are produced by taking something out of the ground, usually if mostly of finite material and finite energy, making something great out of it, but ultimately become waste either after a very short use phase or sometimes a small amount of the value of that product is captured. Um, and the whole, pretty much our entire economy operates in this way. A circular economy is defined as regenerative and restorative from the start by design. Um, and the foundation defines that across three different principles so that we design out waste and pollution, that we acknowledge that waste and pollution are not accidents, but actually the results of decisions made in the design phase. So how do we design them out intentionally from the start? We keep products and materials in use. We look at how do we design an economy where we uh, use things rather than use them up and we regenerate natural systems so how do we move away from talking just about how we do less damage to our environment but how do we actually improve it actively improve it design things more based on the way in which nature works there is no waste in nature for example you know a leaf falls from a tree and it feeds the forest um so yeah so those are the kind of three principles that we talk about as um, being fundamentally making out what a circular economy is. Right. And why switching from linear economy beside obvious environmental reason? Um, I'm sure you can uh, name a few more. Yeah, so I think there's a number of trends and factors that are making the move from linear to circular more appealing. I think it's worth it is worth saying that in many ways, there, you know, that, that sort of shift to linear can be described as something that's kind of underpinned our economy since the Industrial Revolution, where we kind of designed these sort of processes and created these new technologies that allowed us to make many more things much more quickly and much more cheaply than ever before. And that's obviously, I don't want to underestimate the positive impact that's had on the economy and, and the, what it's allowed us to do. And the many millions, if not billions of people that it's potentially lifted out of poverty. It's just the case that it was designed in a time when labor and energy were plentiful and cheap. We didn't have a lot of understanding of the financial and materials, and we weren't thinking about well, what happened to that at the end. And so now we've 
we're using up materials at one end of the scale, filling up landfill at the other, and uh, and we've stretched out the value of that economy, and and that's where the circular economy kind of emerges from. And there's a few there's a few trends that push in that direction. One is that um, there actually increase there's increasing evidence that there's a huge business opportunity in the circular economy. The foundation kind of put our, we put ourselves on the map in some ways in 2012 when we published a report that showed that uh, called Towards the Circular Economy in collaboration with the World Economic Forum and McKinsey that showed there's a trillion dollar opportunity from shifting away from linear processes to circular economy processes. And that kind of, that kind of um, triggered a number of pieces of research, both from ourselves, but from many other organizations, including Accenture, Deloitte, and other large consultancies that uh, that actually highlights that even today for many businesses there's a significant economic advantage to shifting to circular um but also that you know i've described the limits of a circular economy and organizations international institutions policymakers and businesses are increasingly w- aware that um even beyond the obvious environmental negative impacts it just can't work in the long term um it's not you know we don't have limitless materials we have to be thoughtful about the interconnectedness of um the world around us and and consumers and customers are increasingly demanding it there's a huge rise of middle class consumers and purchasing power that's that's happening in the world right now and everyone can see quite plainly that the way in which we design make and use our goods won't be able to facilitate prosperity for that group of people in the same way taking into account all the factors i've already mentioned and and those same consumers and customers are actually actively demanding something better something different they're you know they're far more environmentally and socially conscious and they want better things from from the leaders in in the world and that's and and we're seeing quite a strong reaction to that and there's also like there's also some positive aspects in terms of there's there's more opportunity now to do things differently many of the technologies especially digital technologies that we have at our disposal today allow us to do things that are kind of were kind of unthinkable probably um 10 to 20 years ago we're able to track materials track products um have greater intelligence on the use and uh, and location of our products than ever before which kind of allows some of the th- and, and indeed we've kind of digitized and dematerialized a whole host of products as well which allows kind of a fundamentally different relationship between the people, the the organisations and businesses and manufacturers are the things that are being made today, and 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 the goods and things that they make. What would be a good example of technology supporting circular design and economy? But there's a company called Provenance that utilises blockchain technology, um, basically as a way of tracking materials in products. So they kind of create a materials passport for any products and they can utilize the data that exists within those products to understand how much use is a particular material you know what's how what's the wear time or what's the usage rate of different materials and there's a few things that are really valuable about that one is that it creates a log or record a secure log and record of what materials actually exist within the products that they're able to track so um so you actually know what's in something which is a challenge for anything that lasts for a period of time um, but also they can, can start to understand data and information around well, what parts or components in a product are wearing down faster because actually that can inspire design for modularity that allows you to get out aspects or parts of a product that are that maybe um, 
maybe become less useful faster. You know, an example would be in your mobile phone, the battery of the mobile phone might need to be switched out much earlier than the casing. Um, those, those different components have fundamentally different lifetimes. Um, and the more technology that allows us to sort of analyze the data and understand that, the, uh, the better and more incentivized modular design can be. I find the idea of material passport is really fascinating to solve this chaos of materials that are floating right now in current economy and landfill um, as we speak. And I like that it can be applied for something smaller item, like you mentioned, smartphone, but also to something much bigger like a building. And I love that this concept can be applied to any industry, really. And and it plays out very differently in different industries. I mean, the concept of material passports isn't very new to the kind of built environment, for example. Um, you know, the idea of having a log of what materials exist, that's been a very well-established concept. Um, but the technology aspect there as well is that now we have a way of you know actually tracking much more actively the performance of products because you can um, stick tags and different assets into the building that actually is giving you live feedback on the condition of of different parts of a building. Which you know, I mean, what's very interesting about buildings, of course, is that as well as the structure, which is often designed to last for a hundred years, you have everything that's designed within a building, which often only has a lifespan of ten to twenty years. And you know, how do we actually start designing buildings or or the assets within buildings so that they're a bit more flexible, that we can actually they can actually be several things in their lifetime so they don't become completely useless, uh, you know, a fifth of the way into their actual life. Did concept of circular economy originated at the foundation? So I would want to hear a little bit of history of your work. Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Um, so yes, yeah, so the circular economy is a term was very rarely used um, when the foundation was founded in 2010. And obviously now there are millions of uh, references to it on Google and thousands in academic papers. And it's a term that's used uh, in commonplace by uh, many of the sort of business and policy leaders around the world, as well as in um, in design terms, et cetera, et cetera. It, um, and actually, really, before the foundation, it was a term used quite scarcely. It's, it does come up in a couple of Chinese policymakers in the late 90s. Um, but actually, beyond the term, the idea is really a synthesis of many much older ideas. So um, Walter Stahl in 1970 was talking about an economy in loops, you know, talking about the very much talking about the cycles that we talk about, um, you know, around remanufacturing, repair and reuse as being crucial to the economy. It's also it takes a lot of inspiration from the work of William McDonough and Michael Browngart on cradle to cradle, the technical and biological cycles of, you know, the idea of, of thinking about materials and components and value in those man-made systems on one side, the technical cycle and uh, products that can be safely returned to the environment on the biological side and the other side. Um, and yeah, there are a number of other schools of thought. Industrial ecology is a long established um, school of thought within academia. Um, and biomimicry, the notion of nature inspired by design from Janine Benyus. And, and really what the foundation did was kind of synthesize a number of those ideas and present it in a way and then find the kind of business case that caught people's attention in, in our early years. What are examples of known companies that already practice 
outcome of circular design and economic principles. Yeah, I think a lot of the really great examples often, like as in the really neat, tidy, nice story examples, end up being um, very focused on startups and smaller companies. And they have that kind of advantage of being able to kind of start fresh rather than having to change, you know, absolutely enormous operations that many of the large corporates have today. Um, but I do, I mean, I can talk about a couple of examples within our network of larger companies um, applying the circular economy. Renault actually had that one of the most successful parts of their business in terms of profit margin is um, a plant called Swazilawa. And Swazilawa basically only does uh, remanufacturing. Um, and so they re- they started really as um, from remanufacturing engine parts, but now they remanufacture a huge range of different parts of of um, of, the, of a car, and uh, they deliver incredible results, up to about eighty percent energy savings compared to um, compared to new parts. And I should say to maybe just um, define what we mean by remanufacturing. Remanufacturing is specifically defined as returning something to an as new condition. So the idea is you can put it back into um, the a product and it performs the same as if it was designed from scratch. Um, it's it's very much a concept that's scaled in the aviation industry, for example. But yeah, Renault's Renault's choisi de Waprant is one of its most successful from a profit margin point of view. Um, they remanufacture re- a number of parts, something like eighty percent energy savings, seventy percent water savings, far less chemical inputs going into the plant. And the other example I can give is that. Um, we often cite the example of the idea of selling light as a service. And so famously, um, in circular economy circles anyway, the architect Thomas Rao in, in the early 2000s approached Philips Lighting with a proposition of saying, well, I don't really want to own light fittings. I don't want to own all the light bulbs. I don't have to deal with all the infrastructure that comes with, coming, that comes with having light. I just want to pay you a monthly or annual subscription fee to have a well-lit office. And so Philips and Thomas Rao came to a solution to it's called the paper lux model, which is basically that Philips retains the ownership of all the lighting infrastructure, all of the um, fittings, they deal with the energy bills, they deal with the design of the light, and they're incentivized to do things completely differently. So they're incentivized to design light bulbs, for example, to last for as long as possible, to be as energy efficient as possible. And they're incentivized to design the way in which the lighting is positioned in the office to make it so that it maximizes the use of natural light and puts a, a least amount of strain on the energy infrastructure as possible. I also saw online or uh, Google being listed as a partner. I think company of that scale, especially located in the United States, is um, exciting for many people. Yeah, so I think, um, uh, yeah, so Google are a uh, global partner of the Ellen McCarr Foundation. I have been for a couple of years. Um, one of the biggest initial projects or things, um, circular economy kind of scopes that we looked at with Google were their data centers. Um, and it's kind of, um, an unknown, well, I don't know, like an unknown fact. We talk about dematerialization having kind of this positive effect, but of course, data centers are huge consumers of energy as well as being very significant consumers of materials and their, you know, their complex products. Um, and so actually there's a well-written kind of quite long, uh, a well-written up document case study about Google's efforts to introduce con- circular economy principles across, um, across its data centers. So that came, that come from, came from designing 
um, the uh, things, the products and the materials are going to the data center to be as repairable as possible. Um, so how can com the components that are consumed be actually taken from a refurbished part of the industry? They deploy, um, I think, 19% of the servers in Google were from remanufactured machines. Um, and, and how do they make them as energy effective as possible um, you know, through circular economy principles? Um, that's available on our website if anyone wants to um, check it out in more detail. Um, but that was that's kind of like a good example, actually, of how an, a large company can start to try to tackle this idea, because it's true to say that, you know, really large corporates, how how do you do the circular economy? How do you turn everything around? And there's really two two core ways that we see big companies trying to do it. One is they um, and, and often it's a combination of both. One is that they um, implement circular economy as a strategy across their organization. So they. You know, they they say, how does the circular economy as a theme feed into feed in strategically at every level of our of our business, and how does it influence the strategic decisions we make? And that's kind of like the start to turn the tank apart. And then the other thing they do is they look for pilots or places within their business where they can demonstrate the concept works. And and that's kind of what Google did with the data centers example. I think Google also is a great example of a company that is digital service to begin with but also showing that there is still a lot to improve in the way the company operates and what are the means uh, of the machinery as well as energy use and that um, circularity is really a concept that can be and should be applied to all of the industries not necessarily just material product or fashion or objects that we so used to think about most of the time when we talk about design or pollution or environmental issue, but it's also energy use. It's also equipment that provide all the digital services, for example. So I think it's a great example of that. You know, even food, food and food systems can be described as being designed uh, and we often don't think about it in that way. But when you do start to think about it in that way, it, it I think it shifts your thinking from being focused on how do we deal with, I don't know, for, in the case of food, for example, how do we deal with the food waste that's created to how do we think about how we, how we design our food systems to eliminate waste as a concept through, throughout the value chain? What would be a good example of a circular food service or model so um food uh, there's a couple of different angles on food really food comes down to we you know kind of look at across the system so how has your food grown and um you know the best example in terms of circular circular economy relevant food model is this notion of regenerative agriculture so most agriculture today is kind of monocropping um, the single crops, very heavy fertilizer and pesticide usage, and actually, it's it's kind of eroding the quality of this, our soil. And there's, I think, there's some projections out there from maybe the Rocky Mountain Institute that says we've only got sixty harvests left because of the nutrition being eroded in our soil. Whilst regenerative agriculture is a set of practices that deliberately aims to um, rebuild the health of soil. An example of that would be, and um, there's a farmer in Brazil called Leontino Balbo Jr. He um, he kind of went to the forest and got inspired and he redesigned his family's farm so that they actually actively encouraged this sort of diverse ecosystem. In fact, he's got more biodiversity on his farm than any of Brazil's national parks. Um, 
and uh, and the farm is designed to eliminate pesticide and fertilizer use altogether. They grow many crops, even though their their core crop is still sugar. And in fact, he's the um, he's the largest exporter of organic sugarcane in the world. His sugars go into, in particular, Green and Black's tro- chocolate is a, a um, one of the more famous brands that he serves. Um, so there's kind of like how is your food grown in the food context, and then there's also um, how do you make the most of of the crop. So, for example, only 0.2 percent of a coffee crop is actually utilized because it's really it takes from the coffee cherry, which is the um, piece of uh, which is actually how coffee grows into a cherry. People take a bean out of that and then they just soak that bean with water to um, to give you your final product of a coffee uh, of of a cup of coffee. Um, but actually, that's a tiny proportion of the of the of the crop that's grown that is eventually makes its way into a product. There's lots of different things that can be done with that coffee cherry um, along the way from being turned into a flower. There's a company that turns um, a part of the coffee bean into into this flower to many many other uses, many different cascades. Um, and so those are just a couple of examples. But there's there's well, actually, food is a really interesting topic. <laughs> And I think a lot of people would associate agriculture with food most of the time and not enough people um, make the connection from agriculture to fashion, Mm. but actually a huge part of fashion material and fiber starts exactly at the farm and agriculture as well. So I think similar methods of regenerative agriculture is really important and must be looked at and applied in a lot of fashion industry as well because um, we do have synthetic materials but a lot of organic materials that create all the fiber for fashion and fashion being second of the most uh, pollutant industries what is the foundation's take on tackling this industry um firstly i think your your comments on fashion are really um important and it's a great example many you know many fashion items are a great example of where the technical and biological cycle kind of get mixed up and they can't be they can't be separated so you have um a a huge input into the fashion industry as you correctly say is cotton which is a biological material can't you know can't actually return as to the soil at all because of the way in which we design the products with cotton um, the Ellen McCarthy Foundation does have a stream of work on fashion. We call it Make Fashion Circular, which is uh, one of, it's, we call them systemic initiatives. We look at a material flow across the value chain and say, what we what do we do with this? Because actually, when we first started exploring, well, how do you do the circular economy? What we kind of noticed is that um, value in a linear economy, it's all about throughput. So it's really about how do you take something and each step of the process is optimized it's, and there's no real connection or conversation between them. And therefore, there's a huge amount of vertical innovation. So innovation that takes place within one particular part of the process, for example, the manufacturing part or the design part or uh, the kind of collection systems part, for example. Um, but there's not a lot of innovation that sits across the system or across the value chain. And so we created these things we call systemic initiatives, where we try to bring the whole value chain together to try and solve this problem because it's quite clear and it's clear from even some of the examples we've talked about already about big businesses trying to tackle this, that no one can really do the circular economy alone. And that's where something like Make Fashion Circular comes from. And it's a group of businesses and other stakeholders in the fashion industry 
um, working together around a set of principles that are drawn from the circular economy. And really, in our in that in that piece of work, we talk about kind of three areas of focus. One is um, healthy and safe inputs into the system. So, how do we eliminate toxins as much as possible? How do we make it? How do we design things so that they are, um, you know, that the materials can flow through and and go on the right path? So, for example, how do we ensure that cotton comes out and it and it can be safely returned to the environment if that's at, at the end of its lifespan? How do we maximize utilization? So, how do we ensure that? And that's really looking at business models and the way in which we use our clothes. Um, so, uh, reuse models, for example, repair models. Um, there's obviously a very large reuse market kind of growing within the fashion industry. I think it's already at 20 million or it's projected to get even larger. Um, and then of course, you know, like how do we radically improve recycling rates and the effectiveness of, 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 um, returning fibers to their, to the same quality again, apparently I think it's less than 1%. And I think actually there's the reason I said I think is because there's another piece of research that's recently come out that's actually put it at 0.6% precisely of clothing that gets turned back into clothing again at the end of its lifespan. And when you think about how little utilization there is of our clothes, it's amazing that even at the, even when they do eventually make their way through to, um, through to you know, a, a end of life situation, a very small percentage is, is able to be recycled back into into new clothing again and fashion being as pollutant as it is i think it's one of the main drivers of culture of product and communicator because so many people use it and um we use it even more than we need to and i think partially fashion industry made the term sustainability more widely known um but i want to actually talk to you about the terms sustainability versus circularity what is the approach at the foundation um to this relationship between these two terms um i think we we use the term circular economy to refer to the set of principles that i mentioned design out waste and pollution keep products and materials in use regenerate natural systems and as a specific vision and goal that we work towards um, the t- I mean, the term sustainability has been around and in, in, in mainstream much, much for much longer, and I think we deliberately use it less than a lot of organisations because it's less clear what it means. And and I think I also take a lot of inspiration from uh, Michael Browngart, one of the people I referred to earlier, founders of Cradle to Cradle. He um, he has this term he uses where he talks about sustainability, sustainability where he says. If you're asked how your relationship was going with your boyfriend or girlfriend and you said sustainable, he would say, oh dear, I'm very sorry to hear that. And I think what that emphasizes is this notion that um, it's not a, it doesn't really speak about a goal. It doesn't really speak about the underlying system or what we're trying to design. Well, circular economy is definable in that sense. And that's, and that's why we tend to use the term circular economy. At the same time, I am still uh, challenged personally leaving specifically in United States and even in California that is often thought as very open-minded and environmentally conscious that um, a lot of people are not familiar with term circularities. And for that reason, I uh, was in a way forced 
but also strategically naming this podcast sustainable design to harvest the attention of this huge community that is familiar with term sustainability to then inside of a podcast to introduce them to more innovative and effective, to my opinion, method as circularity. How do you tackle this challenge of communicating and connecting to people who are passionate, involved, and active and want to solve, um, but they only connected through term sustainability, how to connect and communicate to those people to unite the efforts with circularity community? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I really appreciate and empathize with your perspective, Anastasia, and, and thanks for sharing. And I'm, I'm happy to kind of discuss and uh, maybe even debate it a little bit in the context of this podcast. And, I, you know, I, it's not really about saying what the right or wrong answer is necessarily because we're all in many ways, there's a number of people working on, on you know, different frameworks with different contexts towards some similar goals. Um, I think from a communication standpoint, we at the foundation have not struggled to connect with people with sustainability in their job title or sustainability as an interest in general. Um, we've actually been far, you know, our biggest challenge and maybe one of the things that we've actually been quite successful at is how do we connect with people to people without that in their job title or without that as a kind of core value? Because, you know, we really feel that when you're talking about the whole system, you have to be able to connect with people who are motivated by their business thriving in 10 years time or their enterprise enterprise thriving in 10 years time. Um, and I think it's, it's really interesting because as well as sustainability being a term that um, connects with some people, it's a term that also turns turns some people away or turns some people off and it's a term that comes with a long established sense of meaning george lakoff um, the author of don't think of an elephant comes um you know has this kind of theory or set of research and um well-established writings around the notion of frames the idea that um, and this is echoed in other literature as well the idea that actually words terms images they come with a, an attached set of ideas to them all the time and uh, and I think there are many things that are attached to sustainability as a term that are less helpful when we're having a conversation about what to do next, such as individual accountability or guilt or having less or doing less or um, reducing. Um, and and so in, in many ways for us, the ability to use a different kind of language, not to um, really uh, set those two terms as really distinct or not being about similar ideals or values but to have a different language has been helpful in terms of really being clear about what we are talking about and engaging a broader audience even beyond kind of the sustainability discipline that's just our perspective i always thought that sustainability is a good thing and i always was supportive of the idea but i personally got engaged and active only when i came across idea of circular economy and design for the reason that sustainability was and still is for me a bit shattered term versus circle economy and design, putting the frame that can be applied to absolutely any industry with specifications, obviously, but it's a system that is more clear of action. Where do we begin and where design process should go forward uh, beyond the end of life? And kind of having a systematic approach, I think that is, to me personally, 
was very activating and engaging part. So I do support uh, the strategy of the foundation, but I also every day face the challenge of um, explaining it to others. So systematic approach is one of the things that I offer to people and invite them to connect with. So I think that was a great overview of what circular economy is uh, with some examples and different industry approaches. But in the second part of the interview, I would love to focus on design methods since circular economy is largely rely on design methods and approach uh, from the product to designing the entire system. 